you don't have to keep being beaten up by the garbage and stuff that goes on in your life and neither do I. That does not have to be. There is victory in Jesus. There's deliverance in Jesus. There is change in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Stay with us as we continue to look at how to choose joy in our outlook on life. Today, Crawford wraps up his series, Choose Joy. He's taken us to the book of Philippians to discover how to choose joy in our circumstances, in our relationships, in our pursuit of Christ, and today some final thoughts on choosing joy in our outlook on life. Now, throughout this series, we've learned that the Apostle Paul wanted to make it clear that our circumstances don't have to dictate how we will be affected by them. Through the power of God, we can choose to be shining examples of God's power and live joyfully. It is a choice. If you're new to us, Crawford is an author and has been in Christian ministry for over 40 years. His passion is to see believers find hope and direction through careful study of God's Word. He also seeks to help train today's Christian leaders. I'll have more information about Crawford's current series at the close of our time today. Let's head to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Here's Crawford Loretz on living a legacy. Instead of worrying, we are to commune with God. That's what verse 6 is all about. Pay very close attention to, to, to the four words that describe our communion with God or how to release what threatens to control us. There are four words that he uses here. Listen to them. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one of those words, but I need to comment on each of them because it's very, very important that we understand them. Paul is saying now, when worries hit you and life throws a curveball to you and, and there's a mess that, that you, you're faced with and you're over your head and you don't understand why in the world that this has happened and you're threatened to be, you know, just come unglued, what do, you, what do you do? The very first thing he says, but in everything by prayer, prayer. When I say a word about prayer, uh, unfortunately, those of us, including yours truly, who teach and preach on prayer, we've been guilty of being too simple about that word prayer. Most of us think that prayer is just talking to God. Well, it is that, but it's far more than that. The word used, especially here translated for prayer, has more, it implies something more than that. It really, prayer implies stepping into the very presence of God. What the Hebrew says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. To say as a believer that we are praying is not just to isolate a little habit or to let words fly up to heaven in Jesus' name, amen. But it carries with it the concept that, that, that we're bringing ourselves and what concerns us into the presence of God. In other words, you know who you're talking to. Do you know, you, do you, do you know, do you know where you're taking that issue that's bothering you? You are taking yourself and that issue into the very presence of God. The one who created the universe, the one who sustains the universe, the one who can say to you or me, give me back my breath anytime he chooses, that we're going into his presence with what's on our hearts. That's prayer. The second word is supplication. 
It, it, it means uh, that the word supplicated, it is the idea of requesting an answer to a specific need. It carries with it the concept of, 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 of urgency and desperation. How desperate are we about what troubles us? How desperate are we for God to step into it? How serious are we about that? Do you really want that to change? That's, what, that's the reason why he uses the word prayer and supplication here. We take it to him because we want God to step into this situation. God, I need you. Will you do this for me? Will you step into this for me? I need your supernatural intervention. Now, this is not despair because he enters the third word here with thanksgiving. This is not a hopelessness and a frantic crying out to God as if there's no hope. God, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. No, 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 no. It's coupled with thanksgiving. Why? Because you know who you're talking to. It's an attitude that's filled with gratitude toward God and trust in him. That's why he employs the term with thanksgiving. I know you can act and I know you will act. And I trust you with this. Then the last word is request. It's a general term. It's definite and specific things to ask for. Come into my presence. Commune with me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Some of us, some of us are not experiencing release or relief from the things that are heavy on our hearts, not because God doesn't want to give it to us, but because we won't spend the time in his presence. Oh, we'll pray two or three minutes, four or five minutes about something. We'll say a little quickie. We'll pick up the phone to see who else can help solve our problems. But some of the stuff that we're going through right now, we need to turn our plates down and fast and pray about it. We need to carve out some time, a half a day or a day, with your Bible and a yellow pad just to talk to Jesus and to clear the decks in our hearts and minds to really seek his face about these issues that we're having with our children, about these struggles that I'm having with my health, about these problems that I'm having with finding a job of my future, about all these things that we worry about. We need to step into the presence of God and spend time in his presence. That's the kind of prayer that he's talking about. Now there's a promise when we do this. If we pray expectantly, he promises to do something. There is a transforming peace. Now again, remember the order here. The promise only comes after the command is obeyed. We're not going to have the peace until we yield. We're not going to experience the peace until we step into his presence. Anytime you go into the presence of God, you come out differently. There's a part of God that you bring with you when you commune with him. And so now he says, this is what's going to happen to you. And the peace of God, he says in verse 7, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a word, what a word. The peace of God, I don't want to get into the peace of God, peace from God, and peace with God. There, there are distinctions there. But the peace that he's talking about here is the inner calm and tranquility that comes from communion with God. Your heart is settled. Paul is speaking from experience here. I don't know how this is all going to be resolved. 
ship hasn't landed yet. We're still in it. But you know what? There is this amazing peace. In fact, he says it, it surpasses understanding. Meaning, this peace defies logic and reason. Defies logic and reason. Have you ever been there? You, you, you should be so distraught. You should be so overcome by emotion. You should be twitching and sweating and in a fetal position. You're not taking any pills. You're not shaking. You're not living in denial. It's real. For whatever reason, God has you standing upright, calm, and you're saying, he's in charge. He says in the text that this peace shall guard <laughs> your hearts and your minds. Again, again, it's all predicated on obedience, though. It's not cheap peace. Okay, don't claim verse 7 if you don't do verse 6, okay? It ain't going to happen. If you claim verse 7, all you're going to have is a bunch of denial. No, no, but he says that this peace will guard. That word guard is a military term. It means, it means you know, it's like, it's like soldiers protecting a particular area. Then he says this peace is like a garrison will guard your heart, your emotions, <laughs> And your mind, your thoughts. It's amazing. You're, you're, not, you're, you're, not, you're not an emotional mess. You're not all over the place in your conversation. You're, you're emotionally calm and in control. And not only that, not only that, you're, you're thinking straight. You're able to think objectively. You're able to process. You're not rattled. Why? Because you've been in the presence of God. You've been in the presence of God. Not that you found out some coping mechanism, got some tips from a friend. No, because you've been in the presence of God. The very first thing you ought to do anytime you're hit with bad news, don't pick up the phone and don't open your mouth to another individual. The very first thing you do is you drop on your face, you drop on your knees, and you cry out to the Ancient of Days. Well, the third habit. First habit is that we rejoice constantly. Secondly, we, we, we pray expectantly. It's not cheap. But thirdly, we live confidently. Ooh, what do you mean by that? Well, Paul tells us what to think and what to do. I got to tell you, this is, this is core right here. This is core. If we're going to be able to rejoice always and again, rejoice in the Lord always and again I will say rejoice if we're going to do that we got to pay attention to this piece right here the battles are always in the mind but I want you to pick up I want you to notice two lines here actually Paul says the same thing at the last 
the last line of verse 8, it says, think about these things. And then verse 9, practice these things. There's something to constantly think about, and there's something to practice and do. First of all, he tells us what to think. Think on these things. Again, if we are going to experience joy, then we're going to have to cultivate a wholesome thought life. Did you hear what I said? If we're going to experience joy, then we have to cultivate a wholesome thought life. You can't have garbage going on in your head. You can't have negative thoughts in your mind. You can't be thinking uh, this deceitful, deceptive, manipulative, scheming stuff in your brain. You can't have moral excursions in your head. That stuff does not compartmentalize. I know they say we compartmentalize, but nobody ultimately compartmentalizes. It tells the truth on us. You can't have that stuff going on in your head and in your life and expect there to be peace and joy in your heart. You can't do it. We got to think differently. This is where the battle is won. In fact, in, 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 in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, listen to how Paul says it over there. He says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Just, the use, just those words that he chooses there, that, 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 that fighting military uh, milieu or context, he's suggesting that it's a struggle. The hardest battle any person has is found in the battle of the mind, by far. And when Satan attacks us, it's in the arena of the mind. If he can contaminate our thought processes, make us afraid, then he has us. He has us. And Paul tells us there are six things that should occupy our minds. Again, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I'm going to click them off and give just a couple of words of explanation about each one of these things. Now, this is terribly important because he's saying, look, this is how you're going to win this battle. It's not only that you pray, but there's an ongoing struggle in your head. He says here again in verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true, the first word is true. He's talking about honest and reliable thoughts. Honest and reliable thoughts. Our minds are to be filled with honest and reliable thoughts. Not false conclusions about people, not jumping to conclusions about situations, not entertaining negative hypothetical stuff that is not based in reality. He says, whatever is true. Secondly, he says, whatever is honorable. These are thoughts that are noble and worthy of respect. It is the thinking the best. Noble thoughts, high thoughts, respectful thoughts. Number three, so whatever's just. These are thoughts that conform to God's righteous standards. I'm going to get to this in a second. I'll come back at the end here. But these are thoughts that are framed by the word of God. God's righteous standards that transforms our minds. Where we think biblically. We think righteously. The fourth word that he uses, pure, it doesn't need much explanation. These are morally wholesome thoughts. Your mind is not in the gutter. It's not filled with lust. It's not going to wrong places. But think on thoughts that are morally pure. The fifth word is lovely. 
lovely. I don't think he's talking about visually aesthetic things as an art there. I actually think that this is relational. I think he's borrowing for something that he said over in chapter three about, I mean, in chapter two about relationships. I, I have, it's my, my view that these are thoughts that promote unity, peace, and not conflict. You're not scheming about how to get back at somebody or what you should have said to them to tell them off or how you can straighten out a person next time you see them or how you can leverage yourself to to win relationally. No, you think lovely thoughts, thoughts of love toward other people, kind thoughts, how you can bless them and encourage them and help them. And I think the last one is, is commendable, whatever's commendable. And these are thoughts that are admirable, positive, and constructive, solutions-oriented, resolves things. This is how you ought to think. And I, and I can say it's my view on the text that these are not the only six things here because I think Paul gives a, a general statement. He says, and commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, there are other things that I didn't put on the list here, but that you know, you, he says, you get it, you get it, you get it. None of us will be able to do this by saying, I need to think True thoughts, honorable thoughts, just thoughts, pure thoughts, lovely thoughts, commendable thoughts. I need to think that way. You need to think, you're not going to do it. Not, it. That won't happen. That won't happen. The way to do this, the way to do this is to fill our minds with the word of God. That's the way to do these things. That's the way to think this way. And listen to me, church. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is the reason why you hear me time and again here at this place pushing us to get into the Word. Why? Because our lives depend on it. Your victory, my victory, our wholesomeness depends on it. Absolutely depends on it. Hear me, believe me, all of us will act on eventually what we think about. And we need to fill our minds with the truth of God's Word, to read it, to meditate on it, to memorize it. Why? Then we can filter all this negative garbage through a wholesome framework, a transformed mind. I'm going to tell you something here. Every person, and I, I've been in ministry over 40 years, every person, and I don't think this is an exaggeration here, Every person I have ever talked to who has been a believer who has fallen morally, I have asked them this question in recent years. How much time, honestly, how much time have you been spending in God's Word personally? A hundred percent of the time, every last one of the person, people said something like this, not as much as I should. Even pastor friends of mine who are studying for their messages, I will ask him, no, besides studying to preach, how much devotional time for your own soul enrichment have you been spending in the Word? Our minds will be untethered without the framework of truth. Think on these things. And the final thing here I want to point out to you, and I'll be done, is what we do. He says, practice these things. Verse 9 says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I think what, what Paul is saying is, look, look to godly people you know well 
and follow the example. Follow the example. He says, this stuff is incarnational. Look to them. You know, there are people around you who are victorious. There are people around you who are walking with God. You don't, you don't have to struggle with these. Find somebody that mentor you. Come alongside of them. Look up to them. Listen to them. Walk with them. Learn from them. And I would also say this to you. You've heard me say this before here. Let me give you a warning. Never follow anyone who's not following someone. Every person, I don't care if they're 115 years old, needs to be in a mentoring relationship. All of us need to submit to one another, and we can grow that way. And, you know, look, all of this implies that we can live a victorious Christian life. We can. Now, I, I get this, we're growing and we're developing. But listen to me. You know, I think we're guilty of too much of this journey talk where we say, give ourselves a pass and excuse. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just growing and just, you know, walking along and struggling with my stuff and everybody's got stuff that they're struggling with and, I, you know, we're just, we're kind of getting there. That doesn't have to be. Did you hear what I just said? That does not have to be. You don't have to keep being beaten up by the garbage and stuff that goes on in your life and neither do I. That does not have to be. There is victory in Jesus. There's deliverance in Jesus. There is change in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. Your nasty, stinking attitude can be transformed. Your, your filthy mind filled with lustful thoughts can be transformed. Your lying tongue can tell the truth. And that's all found in our Savior but the question is, what are we willing to do? So we have some choices. Are we going to choose joy? Choose joy? Are we going to rejoice constantly? Are we going to pray expectantly? Are we going to live confidently? What does that mean? That I mean that bring my mind under the authority of God's truth and my life in conformity to godliness as I see it shared and modeled before me. All of that can be ours. But the question is, what are we willing to do? Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy, looking at three life-changing habits that the Apostle Paul outlines in the book of Philippians. Here they are again. Rejoice constantly, pray expectantly, and live confidently. And with that, we've come to the end of our series, Choose Joy. Here are the message titles, Choose Joy in Our Circumstances, Choose Joy in Our Relationships, Choose Joy in Our Pursuit of Christ, and Choose Joy in Our Outlook on Life. If you missed out on any of these messages, you can hear them on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org, and look for the past programs link. Now, if this series has been helpful, hope you'll let us know. A quick email to our website will make that happen. And just to further emphasize that thought, it is important that you communicate with us if you're finding Living a Legacy to be a regular part of your online or radio listening. You don't have to write a book, just a couple of sentences to help us know you're there. Livingalegacy.org. Next week, Crawford begins a new series called Better Together. 
I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.